Hello, Georgia. Hello, Augusta. And hello, wherever you are. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the June 28th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. As always, today's show is brought to you as a service of my consulting firm, and that is Janice Allen Jackson and Associates, where we proudly provide services to nonprofit and local government organizations. If you've not already, please go to Facebook and follow the Local Matters Podcast of Georgia. That way you're notified when we drop new episodes and you can also see other content that we post, which is also designed for the same purpose. And that is to make you a more engaged citizen and a more confident voter. Today, we have two special guests, and we're going to take on a topic that has been somewhat taboo, particularly in the African-American community. We're going to talk about mental wellness, uh, and we're going to talk about what steps we can take, what resources are available in the community, and what you should do uh, when you're feeling overwhelmed and you're feeling like you need help thinking through things and getting through things. Uh, this is sort of a guide on what to do. Uh, when those things happen. Again, thanks so much for being a part of the Local Matters family, and we hope that you enjoy this episode. Local Matters family, we have a special treat today, and that is because we don't just have one guest, we've got two. Uh, they are the married couple that runs the Elephant in the Room Counseling Services, which has been in operation here in the CSRA for a few years, and we'll let them introduce themselves to tell you more about that. But before we do that, we just want to ask them how they are today. How are you doing, Ben and Vivian? We're good. We're fine, doing well. <laughs> and how are you? I am well. I am well. Under a little stress, I might need some counseling. But other than that, okay. Oh, we got you. We got you. <laughs> um, as is our tradition on Local Matters, we're going to ask you to introduce yourselves. Just tell us a little bit about your background, um, where you're from, how it is that you chose to go into the counseling profession. And um, also ask, you know, some of the training that you have to get in order to do that, because not everybody can just pick up and say, hey, counselor, you know, there's a, this training that you have to go through. So if you all could just brief me on that. Um, Vivian, do you want to get started? I will. I will. So I'm Vivian and I am from Augusta. So I went to school, elementary, middle school, high school um, here in Augusta. My um, father is mil military, so I'm a military brat. But he retired at Fort Gordon, and that's how my family kind of got here. So I was five years old when he retired. So I've pretty much been here um, forever, I guess. Um, I've always wanted to be a therapist, a counselor. And so I can remember as a young girl when I used to play with my little dolls, I would have them sitting on the couch, and I would be talking to them about their day and and how they were gonna do better today than they did before. So I've always wanted um, to do the work that we're doing now. Um, I started out, I got my bachelor's degree at Augusta State and my master's at Troy University. And I've been doing therapy now for about um, 17, 18 years. Um, I initially started out working with women and um, seniors. So 65 and above, I used to go into the homes and do therapy um, in the homes. Um, but we started Elephant in the Room in 2019. Um, 
And we together, Ben and I work primarily with couples. We're able to do that work with couples because we've had our own issues um, in our marriage. And now we are definitely, um, we have a very healthy marriage. We love each other, but we love love. So it's, and I think you gotta love each other and other for us in order for us to work side by side with each other every single day. And um, we spend a lot of time together, but we've put some tools in place so that we are able to do the work that we do. But um, yeah, so I've been doing therapy for about 17, 18 years. He's been doing it um, a lot longer than me. And we actually met uh, working together at Augusta State Medical Prison. So that's how I met him. I'm Benjamin Ross and I'm not from here. I'm originally born and raised in New York uh, where I went to school and grew up. Went to the University of Rhode Island and uh, on a football scholarship. And I originally went to school to major in medical, tech, medical lab technology. But I found out playing football and studying that didn't work because I would go to some of my morning classes and fall asleep. So I always had an interest in psychology because I want, always had an interest in what people are thinking, what is it on your mind? And I wanted to be able to understand myself more. So basically that's how I got into counseling. And after being in the military and being stationed at Fort Gordon, I decided, hey, I didn't want to go back to New York because now I could spread my wings and I couldn't understand why people wanted to live on top of each other in New York. So I stayed here, I was introduced to the correctional arena where I was a correction officer. And then I went back to school, to graduate school at South Carolina State University where I received my master's in uh, vocational rehabilitation counseling. And that started my journey into counseling at Augusta State Medical Prison. And then I went on to uh, Augusta YDC, Department of Juvenile Justice, working with juveniles. So I've been in the field like 25 plus years uh, in counseling. I've, I've worked when Charter Hospital was open uh, as, a, as a, a tech there. And, a tech for the lighthouse and I've did some private therapy at some group homes and it's something I enjoy until we came to this point that uh, starting our own business because I always felt Vivian needed to start her own business and it was intriguing to me and I wanted to support her and, and that's where we are. So I also, I also want to tell you about the licensing part so how we do this together. So Ben is a licensed minister and I'm a licensed professional counselor. And so we've joined those two um, careers and backgrounds and put it together. And that's why we work um, so well um, with the couples um, as well as running this business. We currently have, I think, 10 therapists um, working um, with us here at Elephant in the Room. But combining those, that background and training, um, me being the licensed professional counselor, him being a licensed minister, we put that together. And that's how we're able to do this work that we're doing. Okay, so having said that, two observations. One is that <clears throat> the business of being a licensed professional counselor, that's nothing to sneeze at. That's a very significant certification. Right. And ministry, when you bring in that angle, do you all consider this a part of your ministry, this practice as a part of your ministry? Yes. Yes. Most definitely, most definitely. Um, and we utilize them both. And so not only do we provide mental health therapy, we provide Christian counseling as well. Okay, excellent, excellent. So um, it's interesting, and that kind of leads me into exactly where I want to go with this conversation, because 
for many years, particularly us as African-Americans and others who have been so dependent upon the concept of faith, um, we will say, well, all you need is Jesus. Hmm. If you're struggling with stress or depression or um, just just being overwhelmed, just, just generally, they said, well, you just need to pray over it. And all you need is Jesus. And that has been the African-American tradition forever. Mm-hmm. So how do you all confront that when, when, when you hear people say things like that? Well, we always going to need God and there's nothing wrong with prayer. But the issue is how we are led and speaking, meaning how we are led. We can go to our pastor, our leaders in the church. But many times they are not versed or trained in the arena of therapy, but they can go but so far by encouraging you, giving you support and moving away from that stigmatism uh, that most black families have. So therefore, we have to educate the leaders and the pastors in the churches that, hey, I can go this far. I can encourage you, but I want you to go get additional help. And being led by God, by praying about it, God can lead you to other people that can help you. See, that's the part we have to understand, that we can go to the church and get the help, but they need to recommend us or uh, refer us out to people who do this for a living, who are professional, that can help you. Because if you go to your pastor in your church and you say, hey, um, I have cancer, right? That pastor is not just going to tell you to just pray about it. Right, it's the same thing. If you have depression, anxiety, um, bipolar, schizophrenia, any of these diagnoses, if you have any of this and you go and talk to your pastor, it's important that the pastor also say, hey, I, w- I want you to meet this therapist or, or I know a therapist or these are resources or it's that same thing. And it, it, it's you being okay to know if I have cancer, yes, I'm going to be praying. God, help me do this because I got to do chemo, I got to do surgery. I have all these things, but then you still gonna go to a doctor. It is the same thing. When I'm not, when mentally I'm not healthy, I'm not functioning the way that I need to function. It is okay to pray about it and then come and see the therapist. Excellent. And you make an excellent point. Um, We grasp physical illness. You know, Mm -hmm. we get it. You need to see a physician if you're physically ill. <clears throat> but we haven't been there quite that that way with with uh, mental illness, and sometimes it doesn't even have to be mental illness, does it? Because I mentioned some, some you know diagnosis, schizophrenia or bipolar or whatever. But I'm sure a lot of people who are seeing you or taking advantage of your services now may not have a, a diagnosed condition like that, but they just may come in for other reasons. How you know? How do you know when when you do need to to come in? When it would be helpful to do that? So we definitely mentally, when you are struggling every day, say, let's say you're struggling every day with anxiety, like you're worrying a lot, excessively worrying, um, and you just can't figure it out, um, then you know that, okay, I, I may need some help. But also there's the other side. So Ben and I do a lot of couples work, right? So if you're getting ready to get married, do premarital counseling, come and see us because we're going to give you some tools that you need uh, prior to getting married so that you can have a healthy marriage. Um, You may be in a place in your life where you feel mentally healthy, 
I'm doing good, but I can't figure out a direction for my life, right? And you just may need to process with someone to help me just kind of move forward in my life. A therapist can help you with that. Um, So there are things that you can come and see a therapist for, not when you're actually depressed or anything like that, but I just need, I'm struggling with just moving forward on a daily basis. Or I'm doing good in my marriage, but I feel like I haven't moved any at all. You know, can we just come and talk to you about how to function in our marriage? Give us some tools that we'll be okay in our marriage. Excellent, excellent. Thank you for that. Um, And one of the other things that I want to touch on, there are a lot of things that we want to touch on today, but uh, one of the other things I really wanted to hit was something that happened when I was much younger. I was a young whippersnapper back then. Uh, My freshman year of college, I was um, locked in during exam period and back then with me and still with me when once I get locked into something I don't know what's going on in the rest of the world because I'm locked into what I'm doing at that particular time because I want to make that good I want to maximize um, that time and, and make the best of it so it was the exam period during my freshman year the spring semester so almost the end of school and um afterwards I heard uh, I tell you what, I didn't know. That's right. It was months later. I think it was a month or two later when I found out we got a, a note in the mail from our Dean of Minority Affairs. At that time, of course, everything was snail mail back then. So I get a note in the mail said, just letting you know that your schoolmate has passed away. And when I saw it, and it was, you know, there for us, um, for African-Americans on that campus, there were only about 148 of us on campus at that time. So it was easy for her to just send a note to all of us, you know, personally to let us know uh, that that he had died. And um, I was talking to a close friend later on, and I mentioned it to her. I said, well, how did he die? What happened? And she said, you didn't know? I said, no, I didn't know. She said, well, during exam period, he basically had a breakdown. He was in the office of the Dean of Minority Affairs when it happened. You know, she called the right folks. They sent him out to the local mental hospital because there was a state mental hospital in the city where we were. And um, he stayed there for a while. They released him back home to his parents. And after he got home, he would, this guy was like a, you know, scientific genius sort of thing. See, I, you never worry about, about me doing this because I couldn't figure out how to do it. But he had figured out how to rig up a rifle on the door in his bedroom while his family was out in the backyard. And he had it set so that when he slammed the door, the rifle would blow him away. So he actually was shot and died in his bedroom. And I didn't know, you know, any of this, but word had gotten out, of course. And uh, when my friend told me that, I was, I had a couple thoughts. One was, I wonder if there's anything that we as other students had done to lead him to that. And I spoke to my mother, uh, who was, you know, all wise at times, and I described the situation to her. I said, yeah, you know, there were some times when people were mean to him because he was a little different. And sometimes we would avoid 
conversations with him because he was a little different. And uh, I wonder if that led to it. So there was a, a feeling of guilt that we as his fellow students had not treated him very well. And that probably left him in a state of isolation. And then the other thing I had or, or I learned from conversations subsequently with other from other, with other folks was that he had some family pressure going on to uh, his his family wanted him to head in one direction career wise and he wanted to head in another direction. And it appeared as if he was really torn by that. And at the end of the day, you know, he wound up being 20 years old, maybe 21 and 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 deceased. So. Um, when I tell that story to people, because I've told it pretty often because it was impactful for my life, because I, again, I was wondering, were there things that we could have done differently that maybe would have resulted in a different outcome? Um, when I tell that story to people, they will, first question sometimes I get asked was, was he Black? And that, and I had to say, yes, he was. And of course, this was many moons ago. This was several decades ago. So at that time, and I still think though now, some of us don't put African-Americans and suicide together in the same sentence. So from your perspective, please tell me how that hits you. You know, what's your reaction to, to that situation? Well, for me, it's alarming because through my career, when we talked about suicide, uh, I was one of the people to ask, were they, were, were they immediately, were they white? Because working in the Department of Juvenile Justice and in the prison system, the majority of the time they were white. But in the last few years, there's been a major increase in black males committing suicide. And it's very disturbing because that's something that we didn't, didn't do. Uh, again, but the problem was that we didn't run, we went to the church and went for prayer or we kept it in the household that nobody knew our business and we didn't talk about it. Uh, I've had an aunt that we would say, well, she was a little off, you know, and, and that was it. Well, black people didn't really look at suicide as something that we did. So we didn't address it. And I think it has gotten us to that point where even in the black church, we stigmatize people who uh, attempt or commit suicide. Uh, we do it for people with mental illness in the church. And it's, we did something wrong. We committed a sin. And this is what the, what the problem or the issue is. And it's totally the opposite. So that's a lot to unpack, but I do want to uh, talk a little bit about the, the church and our history and the church. So the church was our support. So one of the things that I heard you say was his, there were some issues with his parents, um, wanted him to probably wanted him to go in a direction, um, another direction of what he wanted to go into. Maybe at school, he didn't have as many friends. People wasn't talking to him a lot, or uh, maybe people were picking on him or, or said some mean things to him. Um, and so it sounds, sounds like he may not have had a lot additional supports. And, um, or, and so sometimes what we need is supports will keep us on this side. A lot of times when we think about people committing suicide, they don't have any other way out in their minds. 
They can't see any other way out. So this is my, my only choice. I don't have any other choice. This is what I'm going to do. Um, and me not being here is just going to be the best thing for me and for everybody around me. We don't, say, we don't think that that's true. Um, but that, in their mind, that's true at the time. Back in the day, the church was our biggest support, right? So everybody was in church. That's where we met up at. That's where we did our business at. That's where our families was at. That's where our friends was at. Everybody was in church. And so we had a big support. And even though there were things that happened in our home that they tell us don't talk about, right? We still knew, we knew everybody because of church. And so that was a bigger support system than what we have now. Um, the church, we're not in church. A lot of people are not in church today as they were before, right? And the church, even if you're in church every Sunday, you come to church now and people barely speak to each other. And so the support system is not there as it was back in the day. So do we have an increase in suicide? Um, more so today with African-Americans than we did back then? Oh, oh, yes, of course we do. And then also it's the fact that we know about it more today than we did back then uh, because we, there's information overload. So we know everything about everybody that's going on. Um, but definitely, that's a lot to unpack. I hate to hear that. Um, and the fact that you, you tell that story, that is something that's impacting you still today, right? And so it's definitely important to talk about and why that happened. And is there anything that we could have done differently? Maybe, maybe not. You know, um, we just don't know. And sometimes when we make up our mind, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. And it doesn't matter what somebody says to you or the support they provide to you. We just do the best that we can to make sure that we put things into place so that you can get to the next day and then get to the next day and get to the next day so that you can see things can change. Right, right. Very, very, very helpful. Um, you know, the instance what I was bringing up about my mother, and you're right, it still impacts me to this day. I've been telling this story for 40 years because it does still impact me today because I wonder if there was something we could have done better. Because when I mentioned it to my mother, she said, she said, hmm, sounds like y'all probably did have something to do with it, you know, and it wasn't to make us feel guilty. I mean, I, I didn't get the sense that she said it for that reason. I think she said it, though, because she knows how isolated students can feel in very critical times like this. Because, you know, exam period was no joke. I mean, the exam period is no joke at all. You know, we would have, um, you know, I think about a three, four day reading period. And then it was one exam after another and you know you want to make X grade in X class. And in his particular case, he was trying to get into professional school afterwards. So I'm sure he saw everything as just being so critical. And um, I just now, I, it's, I, I try harder to be more friendly towards people who I know are a little different and maybe uh -huh. others don't accept mm -hmm. so much. Um, I, I, I've just, that, that was the impact that they had on me is that I know everybody's a little different and, you know, he, he wasn't going to hurt anybody. It wasn't hard. He wasn't harmful. He was just a little different. Uh -huh. Um, and if he were, um, today, you know, somebody probably would have diagnosed him with something. 
I don't know that he was ever diagnosed with anything, uh, but it, it was it's it's really impactful and it's hurtful. And I would hate to see another young person, particularly another extraordinarily bright, scientifically minded African American man, twenty year old man, just you know. The fact that we're talking about it helps, though, because just like you said, is there anything that we could do differently? And I think that that part is important. Like, what can we do differently? Because we're all different. Um, and then sometimes when, like you say, he may, have, he may have been a little quiet or seemed a little strange or whatever the case may be. But we, as a human being, what can we do differently? And I think that when you say, even if we'd have just, you know, spoke to him, right? I think it's very important, right? Sometimes we walk by people and we don't even speak, we don't even smile or anything. And we don't know what's going on with that person. And just your saying, hey, how you doing? And giving them a smile may change the direction that they're going in on that day. And I think that Ben also told me before about a lady who said, you saved my life. Yeah, or, yeah. Um, just by, by just by I met a lady years ago when I was in the military. Uh, I went to a friend's house and we were playing cards and laughing, had fun. And she she started flirting with me and talking and doing some things. And I just sat down and talked to her. And uh, we met the next day and she told me, you know what, you saved my life. I said, what do you mean? She was having issues with her husband, having uh, an affair and uh, just talking to her, laughing and joking with her. Uh, she said, I changed her life because she was at that point where she was getting ready to commit suicide. And just by talking to her, encouraging her, she changed her life. I worked with her to get a job uh, at Fort Bragg in North Carolina. She went back to school and she said, I don't care if we never talk again. You got a friend for life. And, and really, I didn't take too much stocking it at the time but years later when i thought about it it was like wow mm -hmm. because she said and she was at that point that and she had kids she had little kids and she was ready to take a life yeah i think it's important that we don't be afraid to talk to people um if someone is struggling it's okay to ask them if they're having suicidal thoughts um, we we don't want to feel like if I ask you if you go if you have suicidal thoughts then you're gonna go kill yourself. I think that's an important conversation to have. So don't be afraid to ask your family members and your friends um, about that because now we know what direction you, we need to move in. Um, sometimes we don't when we don't ask we don't know and nobody knew about even your friend or you know the, this guy mm -hmm. back in school. Um, nobody probably knew what was going on with him and just that simple conversation could have may have changed the dynamic um so it's important to just don't be afraid to ask are you okay do you need help are you having suicidal thoughts any of those things yeah i i think you're right i always wonder you know if he had had one good friend would that have made a difference um in that instance um you said something earlier vivian i want to kind of go back to as we're talking this trying to want to bring this full circle you talked about how even in the church, sometimes people aren't really talking to each other. And I wonder if that is a role that the church could play. You know, we know that uh, the church is not a substitute for a therapist, but I wonder if there's a role that the church could play in terms of helping people build better connections. Because I have read articles recently about 
the epidemic of loneliness that has taken over our country. Um, is there something that the church could be doing to sort of bridge that, uh, to, to decrease the degree of loneliness, at least for those who are part of a, a church family? We had such a good conversation with Ben and Vivian that uh, we've actually posted the rest of the interview on our YouTube channel. Uh, it's about another 15 minutes from here. So please go to the YouTube channel of the Local Matters Podcast of Georgia to catch the full interview. I also want to point out um, something that I researched after we recorded um, it says that after increasing between 2000 and 2018, age-adjusted suicide rates for non-Hispanic white people declined from 2018 to 2020, whereas rates increased between 2000 and 2020 for non-Hispanic Blacks and Hispanic people. So that tells you that in some communities, the rate has stabilized and in fact declined, whereas in others, it's going up. So we all need to be mindful of this and the impact that it's having on uh, our people, our young people, and our communities in general. Again, thanks so much for being a part of the Local Matters family. Blessings. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net, because local matters.